0: Hear the word of our Lord, our first reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in the first verse. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Old Testament reading for this evening, as we have read every week in the Lenten season, comes from Exodus chapter 20, beginning in the first verse. Hear the word of our Lord. Die. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As I've stated already, this is the last of our Wednesday night Lenten season litany services. And it is capping off a series we have been doing asking the question what does it mean? When St. Paul says, Our Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins. And we understand that the Ten Commandments is God's holy morality, his ethics given to us. So any sin that we commit by thought, word, deed, or even nature will be found in these Ten Commandments when we have violated them whether we have committed a sin or omitted, meaning we did not do what we ought to have done. We looked at the first commandment and saw that indeed Christ died for our hopelessly idolatrous ways of living. We learned that, yes, Jesus Christ died for our terrible habit of taking God's name in vain every single time we sin because we are given the name of Christian, bearing the name of Christ ever since the moment of our baptism, all of our sins bear false witness to God, taking his name in vain. And this includes, of course, all of our false teaching. Every error and every errant word that we speak concerning God Giving him a bad name, or saying, Thus saith the Lord, when God has not spoken. We learned then, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, since there is a new obedience to this law not a specific day of the week, but something more challenging, that we should always find our rest in Christ and rejoice to hear the word of God every single time we woke up and said, I don't want to go to church this morning, every time while we are hearing the word of God spoken to us or preached to us, every time we get distracted, every time we fail to live our lives unto God, as the Apostle St. Paul tells us, Whatever we do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord. We are violating this commandment, and Christ died for that. Honor your father and your mother. We learned that we argue with this commandment incessantly, and we rebel against it shamelessly. And then we find ourselves also oftentimes not being the parents that we ought to be, thus dishonoring our own fathers and mothers, by mistreating their grandchildren. Yes, this commandment also includes a command to be honorable fathers and mothers. We learn that since we do not promote life and instead live in a culture drenched in death, Christ died for every single time we have killed, every single time we have harmed, Every single time we did not preserve life as we have ought to. The same goes for adultery, when we were not faithful to our spouses. And instead, we found ourselves sinning against God in one way, shape, or form, or another, sexually. You shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We went over that these days these two commandments are tied at the hip, Because not only do we like to steal from people, we also love to not give to people as we ought, thus violating the mirror commandment to be generous in giving. And at the same time, we bear false witness against our neighbors to destroy them. Even if we cannot take their property, their personal property ourselves, we certainly arrange to have others take their property for us, or to ruin their livelihood, to ruin their reputation over stupid disagreements. And thus far, we've looked at these commandments in a very straightforward way. But the last two commandments give away the game, so to speak. They reveal something about all ten commandments. These two are often ignored. We Pretend to obey the first commandment. We'd like to think we are obeying the second and third commandments. We argue against the fourth commandment. We love violating the fifth commandment. We are all adulterers, heavily addicted to all these various uh, forms of adultery, let us say. And of course, we're all stingy. We don't give as we ought, and we love bearing false witness against our neighbor and running our mouths when we ought not. But when it comes to the Ninth and the Tenth Commandments, we wholeheartedly ignore them, and we do so to our peril. Now, you may have a Baptist friend that asks why we, as Lutherans, retained the traditional numbering of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Jewish communities, Baptist communities, and the Eastern Orthodox say, well, uh, carved images. You shall not have any graven images. That's the real second commandment. And we wrap up these two commandments here as you shall not covet. But they are different. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. That is to say your neighbor's personal property, whether by jealousy or envy or scheming, seeking to arrange such a fashion of events that what they had, their physical goods, their money, their home, their house, even potentially their good name, now belongs to us. Or else we find ourselves bitter against them. You can covet without necessarily scheming. If you ever read through the large catechism, uh, Dr. Martin Luther's words on the ninth and 10th commandments, ought to be notoriously known as underselling the commandment. Not that I disagree with the good doctor on what he says about them. There's more to it though than just scheming or arranging to take somebody's stuff. The 10th commandment, it sounds like a laundry list in case Moses forgot something in the 9th commandment. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female uh, servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's, you might think of this as the laundry list of anything else that maybe he didn't mention, other than just a house. Maybe uh, good Moses decided we needed to include all of these so that they don't think of just a domicile living space. I would challenge you to notice, however, Everything that Moses lists, except for that last bit, anything that is your neighbor's, one's wife, your neighbor's servants, oxen, donkeys, these are all living creatures. People in the case of your neighbor's wife and his servants. But there is life in what you can covet in the 10th commandment. In essence, What Moses is saying in the ninth commandment is do not covet your neighbor's personal property. In the tenth commandment, it is to say do not covet your neighbor's life, his associations, who or what he gets to be with, the interactions that he gets to have. Do not covet that. And we can understand wholeheartedly what this might look like in terms of scheming, If we imagine somebody falling in love with their neighbor's spouse and then quietly introducing discontent in their marriage so that eventually a divorce happens and lo and behold, look who is there waiting to comfort the divorced, disaffected spouse and to marry them, having them. That is a textbook violation of the Tenth Commandment. But more so than that, coveting is also any desire you have for your neighbor's property or their life. Any jealousy you might feel over what they have and how they live. Anytime you say, or I say, my life is not enough, I am dissatisfied with what God has given me, we violate this command. And this is how this gives away the game. It reveals so much about the Ten Commandments that we cannot ever forget these last two. You can sin without acting, you can steal without taking. But every time you imagine yourself stealing or desire to take that which does not belong to you, you are committing a sin in your heart. First, by coveting. Let us illustrate this. A child goes to 7-Eleven with his mother. Maybe his mother needs to grab a money order or hit up the ATM or she needs some morning coffee because Lord knows The infant sibling kept her up all night before taking her child to school. And that little boy, six, maybe eight years old, sees a candy bar. And he understands the last time he grabbed something at a store, he got in trouble. But he imagines himself taking it. He wishes he could take that candy bar. It should be his. He can almost taste the chocolate from that uh, Reese's peanut butter cup in his mouth and he wishes that he had anything other than the breakfast cereal that he had that morning, just anything in that old 7 that child at six or eight years old has committed the sin of coveting. Much in the same way, our young men today are transfixed by Pornography. We mentioned pornography use as a specific kind of violation of the command to not commit adultery, the sixth commandment. But when our Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart for, you, for her, you have committed adultery with her in your heart, the word he uses is the Greek word translated in the Septuagint in this very passage as coveting wanting that which does not belong to you whether property or person so it is not strictly speaking whenever uh, a wife catches her husband watching pornography or something that's not grounds for a divorce because that is not adultery proper uh, that's grounds to get this guy to repent and go to confession if he ever messes up but it is that heart sin that the Ninth and Tenth Commandments teach us the existence of. The Ninth and Tenth Commandments teach us that each and every one of these sins, we can violate any of the commandments through a coveting, unsatisfied, ungrateful, and unappreciative heart. It demonstrates to us the darkness that we have within. To illustrate further, we are called in the flip side, the mirror image of these two commandments, to be grateful and to cherish that which God has given us, both in our personal property and in our lives. What we get to do, who we get to be with, what we possess and enjoy having, we should be grateful We should thank God every single day for the roofs over our heads. But how do we really go about things? We complain about the rent. We complain about how old the building is or how decrepit it might feel. We look at the nice houses on Zillow and we say, oh, I wish I could afford that. We're ungrateful. We are sinning against both of these commandments. When we look at our children, and instead of thanking God for them, we have that thought in the back of our minds that we wish they were just better kids. We feel jealous of some other parent out in the neighborhood whose children are more well-behaved. We're violating the Tenth Commandment. Every time we do not cherish and take care of our property and our people, we are violating this by demonstrating how little we appreciate what God does for us. Dare I say it, this might sound silly, but if you don't get that oil change for your car, if you don't take good care of it, aren't you showing a lack of gratitude for something God blessed you with? He gave you personal property. Even if it's something that is a garbage-presenting car with terrible reviews, like a 1974 Gremlin, God gave that vehicle to you so you could get from point A to point B. Yet here you are, allowing it to fall apart with rust. The tires don't have air in it. It could blow up at any time because Lord knows you have not taken care of the radiator or checked the coolant levels on it. God gave you something precious that allows you to travel faster than any chariot ever could. Something amazing, horseless carriage. And we demonstrate our lack of gratitude by grumbling when we have to drive. Instead of thanking God that he has given us something so amazing. The electricity in our house, the clothes on our back, we are not thankful for them. The people in our lives, when is the last time you checked on your friends to make sure that they are doing okay? When was the last time you told your siblings or your family members that you appreciate them? Do you call them on their birthdays? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? The ninth and tenth commandments show us just how spoiled, rotten we all are. And I'm not just saying, oh, us millennials, this has been a problem with every single generation. An absolute inability to recognize how thankful we ought to be for what God has given us. To say to ourselves, man, that other guy, lucky guy, he's got that 9 out of 10 wife. I'm happy for him. And I'll make sure that him and his marriage, that they're, that they're doing okay. But you know what? I am happy for my spouse. That I get to be with her. She makes me happy. Oh, that person over there. They have a great house. They have great and wonderful things. They live such a nice life. And yeah, I live in a small apartment. But there's so much good to that too. It's got a great location. I love having running water and lights I'm glad to have an internet connection to be here streaming with the Very Lutheran Project. Do we think about that? Do we really cherish what God has given us and then turn around and help our neighbor preserve the good property and the good life that God has given him? Do we expect the same from our neighbor in good faith, knowing full well that to a appreciate the neighbors God has given us, we should hope and pray and support them in being kind on our behalf as well. We don't do that, not nearly as much as we ought to. Instead, we are complainers, we're whiners, We're like the children of Israel when they wandered through the desert, screaming and complaining and crying every day about the manna that we ate. And of course, we as Christians, we love to piously say, oh, they saw miracles every single day. How could they possibly have doubted God's love? Well, we do the very same thing every single morning when we say, oh my gosh, I can't believe the coffee machine is taking this long to brew for me. We do the same thing as the ungrateful Israelites who refused to trust in God when we say, I can't wait to get out of this place. I hate it here. If God put me here, fine. I will. I'll do what he wants, but I just, there's greener pastures out there. I know it. Oh, yes. This is terrible of us. And we violate every single one of the Ten Commandments in our hearts, oftentimes, though not exclusively, through the inward sin of coveting. If you can commit a sin with your hands, if you can commit a sin with your mouth, if you can commit a sin with any part of your body, you can, at the same time, or even without any part of your body, violate that holy commandment with your heart and with your mind. This is why we have these two commandments. It doesn't just uh, tell us, don't scheme to get your neighbor's stuff or his life or his loved ones. It doesn't tell us just, hey, appreciate what God has given you and cherish it. Take care of the things he has put you steward over. This commandment, both 9 and 10, together also tell us in clear words. That we are dark in heart, just as much as our darkness of our bodies. Just as much as any errant word I can speak about God, if I think a blasphemous thought, I have sinned. And thus we ought to fear. Because this means that every single time I looked twice at somebody's treasured possession, and even fleetingly thought that I wish it was mine, that means that I pushed another thorn into Christ's brow. Every single time you look at somebody of the opposite sex and wish that they were yours, if God has already given you a spouse, or if that individual you wish you had belongs to somebody already, you're right there next to me pushing the thorns into his flesh. You are the one bringing the blood on top of his eyelids, down his brow, into his beard. It is our mental and heart-sick sins that did this. These are the sins for which Christ has died. Thus the ninth and 10th commandments serve not only as a very important revelation as to the nature of our sins, but in addition to that as a multiplier of our guilt. And we understand that with these ten, together, there is no escape from the wrath of God outside of trusting in Christ who bled for you. This Good Friday, we will be discussing not just that Christ died for our sins. We will go over who killed Jesus because it wasn't any of you and it wasn't me. But though we did not kill Jesus, it wasn't you or I with the hammer and the nails in our hands at the cross, we still owe Christ the greatest of debts of gratitude. We owe him our very lives because these are all sins for which our Lord Jesus Christ died. Now the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.